further away than I am. We're back with another... We're back. Episode? Of our... Podcast. Yeah. Okay. Woo! So, it's fall. It's fall! It's... When's the first day of fall? Uh, when you go back to school. Oh, we're going... I was thinking literally like <laughs> September oh, something. Oh, it's actually but... like September 21st or something. It's, nope. it's literally... Is it fall today? What's today? It might be today. <laughs> it might be today. It might be the official first day I of think fall, but fall that's not... begins when, well. I don't, I say when fall starts, not the sun. Well, that's what I'm or saying. The, or the moon That's or what whatever. I'm getting at. I'm saying fall starts, well, where we live in Ohio, there's a fair, mm-hmm. the Canfield Fair is oh, always yeah. Labor Day weekend. That's so true, yeah. when you go to the fair, fall begins. So you walk in, it's summer. Yes. You walk out, it's fall. Yeah. What if you go to the fair twice? Uh, no, it's the, the first time, time you, you go get during there. the fall. It's the first time you go there. Now yeah. the question is, what moment at the fair does it become the fall? Dessert. Yeah. That's. It. All right. So. so it's fall episode. I got. I have a bottle of genuine Hanks. Seasonal pumpkin spice soda. Where'd you get it? Uh, White House Fruit Farms. Yeah, you did. How is it? It's good. Is it? Does it you want to taste it? it? I'm going to taste it. Um, I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not bad. It's just... I mean, it's sugary and it's pumpkiny and it's kind of syrupy. I think I'd rather just have pumpkin pancakes with some syrup on them. It's all about getting into the. Uh, you know what I feel like? You know what? What? I bet. I bet this would pop would really sing if I put it in like a glass. I feel like it'll let the. Oh, air... you should have gotten that cold glass from the freezer. Oh, do we have it? <laughs> yeah, oh, shoot. it's in the freezer. I'll entertain the folks. Uh, okay, some things that I like about fall, uh, leaves, uh, uh, the, oh, I love the, I love the wet, what divine weather. If I had my druthers, it would be fall weather all year round. I mean, there's something to be said about, well, okay, there's something to be said about some summer. Well, that sounds, that sounds great. Something to be said about snow around Christmas. But if I had, I guess if I had to pick one, one oh, yeah. temperature for it to be, it would be 64 degrees. Did you say anything interesting? Are we cutting that? Yeah, you're going to edit out I'm all, not editing anything. all the uninteresting things. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some stuff. Okay. It's on the docket. Oh, you know what I wanted to talk about was... Um, what? Uh, you came in forcefully with that. <laughs> the joy of the joy of discovering old music that you've never heard before. So, like, you discover a song that was that came out like 30, 40 years ago, and somehow you've never heard it. And it's like I've lived this my whole life, I and I never came across this song, and it's great. Here I am, I'm in my late 30s, I'm discovering a song from way back when. Well, peep this, baby. I would <laughs> I would say that that applies to everything great. 
Like discovering an old movie you've never seen. Oh, that's... I thought you were going to yeah. go really like abstract and be like a, discovering... A, like A person. Like discovering, you don't, discovering you don't have to care what other people think. Oh, no. I thought you were going to say something say like that. Like like any, any, discovering you could be nice to people. Any pleasant thing. Oh, here's a candy bar I've never tried before. Yeah. Zots? You ever try Zots? No. My, uh, my, my mom, my aunts were always talking about Zots, and then they found some. Tried it. Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm just saying. No. It all, it works, it works with a lot of things. I discovered it. Did you know that Tracy Allman wrote, or, uh, was sung song? Oh, no, I didn't. There's a Tracy Allman song called They Don't Know that I just have been pl- playing. Is it a serious song? It's a it's a pop song. It's a pop song from the '80s that I've just what? was really into this summer. She's like she's you know, she just she's you know it's, it's, like, it's not a, facetious. No, it's a good song. It's a real. Did you know that Tracy Ullman was a pop star? <laughs> no, I didn't. She's uh, she's having fun in the video too. You know she's. Huh. I gotta be. I feel like if I, like if I, like if I wasn't married to you, right? Where are you going? Like with no, this? you're like you're my first choice for wife. Right. But I feel like my second choice for wife would be like Tracy Ullman in the eighties. That what does that say about <laughs> me? Well the next Well, actually question. Tracy Ullman, you know, Is she's it? a good singer, you. Oh. She's thanks. having fun. She right. you know, likes life. Round face. Got a nice round face. Big head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So really you should be honored. All right, now. I takes what I can get. Oh, and this other song I discovered is, uh, it's called Sing Me an Old Fashioned Song, and it's by Billy Joe Spears, and it's I country. Think, doesn't everybody know? Oh, wait, maybe I'm thinking of something else. Maybe I'm just thinking of that song from, from this summer when you were listening to it. Yeah. Oh, and a few years back, this wasn't, like, recently, but maybe five years ago, I discovered a Buddy Holly song I didn't know called Doesn't Matter Anymore. And, uh, you know, the Buddy Holly enthusiasts listening to this are probably like, you'd never heard of that song. But no, I had it. And it was it was great. Also, I mean, when you're talking specifically about old music that you've never heard, you, you're you a special case because you like old music. I guess that's true. You're... I've always liked music from, uh, I th- oh, I figured it out, I think. Mm-hmm. I figured out, I think that. My wheel, my favorite music time window, I think it's 1957 to 74-ish. Is like, that's what I think the best music is from. I think <laughs> that, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, when you're talking about discovering an old song you didn't know about. Yeah, that's A true. lot of other people, like, if they don't like old music... Who doesn't like there, old... there are a lot of songs, old I songs you, they don't know about. Let me tell you something. You're all like, what? The Anderson Sisters have another song that called feels too old. Shucks and Swoon. Love it. <laughs> okay, so. That, that was it's a about j- a soldier and his lady. Just to clarify, that's that's a joke and that's not a natural song <laughs> I should look up. I never, not it could be. Well, type it into Google. And now, see I would just like up. to clarify that your fake song by the Anderson Sisters about a soldier is a very 1940s sounding yeah, song. Yeah, I was using, I just told you I'm more I late was using 50s, hyperbole 70s. For a comedic you know. effect. Nothing wrong with the 40s, but it's not my favorite era of music. You might be familiar with this strategy. With who? 
Using hyperbole for comedic effect. Ah, yes. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about comedy in a minute here. But I just want to say, oh. even as a kid, mm-hmm. it bothered me when people would equate old with bad. It just really annoyed me. One time, I was, a uh, I was uh, talking to some kid. This was probably like the late 90s or something. He was like, what's your favorite movie? And I was like, I know this one. <laughs> Billy Madison. And he was like, Billy Madison, there are so many new movies out now. And I'm like, what? Why would, why does the fact that, you know, when I was a kid, you know, that was probably a four-year-old movie, but to a kid, it's like a, you know, a long time. So like, why, I'd never, I never understood why old was bad. So in a grand. I never got it. In a grand sense, in the larger sense, I don't, I didn't have that experience. Right? Like, I don't, I don't recall a scenario where something like that happened to me. Okay, uh, however, it, it's just, I, I just, when I, when you want to watch something made in the 70s. Like a movie? Yes. Just. You mean the greatest? I have okay. To, I have to fight. Just the aesthetic of it. When it first comes on, I have to fight past the urge to, to fall asleep okay like this First is all, so boring to look at the 19th and i'm not even talking about i the 40s that's interesting you got a movie from the 40s i'm interested you got a movie from the 50s maybe but for some reason the 70s to me just you know what it might be you know what it might be is uh it's it's from uh maybe when i was a kid on the weekends we just stayed up forever basically so we had no i don't know parental supervision <laughs> it was the it was the 80s it was a different time in the early 90s but on the weekend we we didn't really have a bedtime and so and we had a big screen tv so my brother and i would sleep in the living room and we would stay up and watch nick at night like into the wee hours i watched nick at night too and uh like f troop came on at like 3 a.m and that was great but the second Dragnet came on, oh, it's done. So you're saying I that I've never done. watched Dragnet. Is it? And neither have I. Just the opening was so boring. So you're saying the opening of Dragnet makes you hate a whole decade. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, um, it's a, I'm postulating. First of all, the 1970s for like American movies, that's like, that was a big decade. That was like. Oh, it just looks so boring. I watched the, the Godfather, Godfather, Taxi Driver, A Clockwork taxi Orange. Taxi Driver was fine. If I never watch Taxi Driver again, I'll be all right. I'm going to force you to watch A Clockwork Orange and you might hate it. I might. I didn't I did not hate The Godfather or The Godfather 2. I'm just saying aesthetically to look at film from That's that time of, why, period. What? Just makes my eyelids How? heavy. I it's don't know. It's beautiful. I don't know. I have a very difficult. A, the Godfather aesthetically. I have a very difficult. It's time a beautiful just movie. The way I don't know what that is. What which Beauty. kind caliber Beauty. a film that is? But that particular one, just for some a reason, feast for the it eyes. has a subconscious effect on me. I would say just enjoy, it makes me go, enjoy the visuals. Nah, it's hard. It's difficult for me. I can get But that's how I feel it. about modern movies. Is, is just it. Aesthetically, it's just nothing. You hate when stuff is too blue. Oh, no, no. I always had a problem with, like, 
any like monochromatic lighting in a movie where it's just like yeah the whole thing is blue or the whole thing like like uh the lord of the one of the lord of the rings movies like the whole it was like it was like great the, films no i have no problem <laughs> with the, i have no problem with the lord of the rings movie <laughs> movies but visually like they're like i think it was the second one they're like it's just like all blue the whole movie was blue didn't notice i mean there were i mean like there were I'm saying not feast not, for the eyes. No, the whole well, it was they a feast got for the Sauron eyes. Sauron on film. It was a feast for eyes in like the Shire scenes when you know, <laughs> but like the, I don't just from I haven't seen it in a while. But there were a lot of scenes that were just like all blue. All right. Well, you know what we can both agree on. Yeah. We, we don't <laughs> we don't need a shaky camera. Oh yeah, no, that Who's, sucks. I'm not paying you to make a movie to make the camera shaky. No. I want to see what's going on. Anyway. Well, more 70s movies uh, to me. Yeah, I mean... I like you know. any any movie set in the past. I just want all movies to be set in the past. I just... Well, maybe we should dig into that psychologically. Uh, especially, like... At a later date. Oh, you want to change the conversation? Oh, I didn't know. I thought you we were... It sounded like we were winding this one down. You know what I what annoyed me was uh, I, I started to watch the show uh, Bates Motel, and it was I was like, oh, cool, a movie or a show about young Norman Bates. It'll be set in, like, the 50s, and it was set in present day. Yeah. And I was just, like, really disappointed that it wasn't set in the 1950s. Yeah, we talk. Do we talk about? I mean, we had this conversation. I don't know if we had it on the podcast about how Who cares? horror Just movies it. tend to. We think they work better in the past. One because we of talked te- about horror technology, movies on here. but two because I think it has something to do with our generation is all because the past. Well, not even our generation, but I mean, to us, the eighties is the past, and so we think about being children. In the 80s and the 90s. And so if a horror movie is set in the past, it brings us sort of back into that mindset. And I think oh, that yeah. that's, that is something that can have a big impact you're on saying the horror people, film experience. You're saying people appreciate a horror movie set in their own childhood in part, decade? In part, yeah. Or before. But yeah, in part. I have to I think, think so. on that. I really like, I like Stranger Things a lot. And just aesthetically, the '80s are are a big part of that. So you like uh, the '80s aesthetically, but you don't feel the same way about In the a '70s horror movie. Wait a minute, but this is them setting a movie in the '80s, but it looks like it was made now. Okay. But no, I don't mind. I don't mind it, since you bring it up. I love an '80s movie. Love an eight. I think the eighties were the heyday of filmmaking. Well, the eighties and the seventies were a lot different, and uh, the eighties had a lot more blockbuster. (laughs) It was a lot more good versus evil. It was yeah. The seventies were more like Vietnam had just ended, so there were like things were more gray, and you had the anti-hero, and you had yeah. The eighties were all about prosperity and make money well but I mean, i'm thinking more like when you're thinking of the 70s you're thinking like sweeping dra- drama 
I'm thinking 70s? Of the, no, no, I'm thinking more gritty. When I think of the 70s, well, I think of Martin Scorsese movies and the Well, this is what I'm saying. You're thinking you're thinking 70s Martin Scorsese and I'm thinking like 80s John Hughes. Like it's eh. not I'm not saying that you're saying anything negative about John Hughes. I'm just saying that no. this is a different kind of film. I actually love John Hughes. I know. I but I much prefer and John, the John Hughes. Hughes to the well, John, I was—I mean, John Hughes did die too young because I think he was like sixty. But John Hughes, it was like basically stopped writing. Maybe was he was very, done. It was very weird. He was like, well, I told all the stories I wanted to tell, and now I just want to. I be... don't know. He moved. He didn't want his kids growing up in like L.A. I think so. Well, he that's that's makes there, sense uh, to me. I, there's like not many interviews with John Hughes. In fact, I went to youtube once to look up an interview with john hughes and uh ended up listening to a, an interview with john hughes uh the serial killer because there are there is more <laughs> it took me 45 there... minutes to figure it out <laughs> it's very confusing <laughs> I, I thought he was just talking about crushing his like, screenplay I didn't, I didn't know any of this was this after home alone <laughs> <laughs> but before planes trains and automobiles yeah Anyways, there are more. There's more interviews with John Hughes, the serial killer, than John Hughes, the great writer. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> the clothes are coming off. <laughs> it's just look. It's the weather's. The weather. My mom was like, "He's in his underwear in every podcast." It's just hot. We don't. It is hot in this room. Okay. I was just talking about how lovely the weather. This is going to be the last. Yeah, it's getting colder. Love it. Getting colder. Love it. Um, want to talk about comedy? Shall we? Or, or do you want? Do you have, Shall something? We do you have something else? You want to talk about libraries? No, we do. Oh, I do love. I love the library. That's because we just came back from the library, and I love the library. It's so great. But that's all I have to say about okay, it. Really so, great. Our library is really good. Plus, I like the concept of the library. It's no waste at all. Real a real community center. You feel like you're getting center. over. Like you feel like you're getting one <laughs> over on. Well, your tax dollars are paying for it anyway. You might as well take advantage of it. Love That's your, true. Love your local library. Movies and get movies. You can get movies there. I just got Saw, and we're gonna watch it. I haven't seen Saw in. I. Like, here's so what I remember excited. about Saw. Yeah. Kind of the ending. Oh, I thought you were t- <laughs> like, ah, nothing. I thought that was the joke. I remember the... Here's what of, I remember about Saw. I remember <laughs> I remember kind of the ending. But maybe we shouldn't spoil it. But at this point, like, if you didn't see Saw, you're not that invested in it. I think we're past it. But it's a, it's a, it's a good film. And I've, I just want to reiterate for anybody who missed the episode, I think we talked about this. I am not a crazy horror movie person. If you are, that's your thing. And that's No, great. I'm not either at all. Right? Well, I know about you. Oh. But, um, Except if it came but out in the if 70s. That's your, like, if you like to watch, what is that Hulu thing they keep showing? They're all like <laughs> Shutterbox or something. I don't know what it is. They keep making these horror movies, like a horror bunny and a horror. And I'm like, yeah, I'm probably not. I'm probably never going to watch that. But I like a really good, classic, atmospheric, scary show or movie. And also a psychological thriller. I'm super. I into like that. it too. I just feel like they're all like I. 
I don't dislike horror movies in theory. It's just that they all happen to suck. There's so many bad it's ones. Like, yeah, that's it's what not it is. like it's like I don't There's dislike so horror movies, they just ones. all suck. I th- I always why? want them to be why do they suck? They there's no there's we <laughs> may have had this conversation, but there's never okay. any attempt at character. Is it's okay, yeah. Terrible we did exposition. Talk about this, right? Because part of it is that you can't get too attached to these people. Like you gotta be kind of attached, but not too attached. You can't be sad they're dead. You have to be frightened the whole time. Like excuse me. So yeah. Okay, so there's so there are probably more bad horror movies than any other genre. Like they just keep pumping out bad horror. Yeah. And that's the problem. But classic horror movies. Some of them are good in the right, you know. And a lot of them are had terrible endings. It would be like, well, this had good atmosphere. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed watching this. But then it's like, it really led up to just, like, eh. That too. A lot of them are all atmosphere. I watched uh, one on Netflix when you were gone one day. It was a terrible idea. I was home alone watching. Oh, uh, it wasn't even horror it was supposed to be scary. It was called, like, I I am the pretty thing that lives in the house or something like that. I don't know. But it was all atmosphere. It was fine. The atmosphere was good, but the, there was very lacking in story. Could have used some story. Mm. But anyway, not anti-hormone, especially around this time of year. But uh, how do we get here? <laughs> Libraries. Libraries. You oh yes, yeah. Saw. Saw. I'm very excited about because I I like Saw. <laughs> I think it's a great horror movie. I don't even know if you call it horror exactly. Well, we'll watch it. Yeah, we're gonna watch it anyway. I love the library. You can get anything at the library. That's not true. You can get anything at the library today. We looked at the have. children's room, and you can just go and get toys and check out toys for a week they have these awesome toys there's like a pizza oven and ice cream thing i think that's fantastic mm. anyway support your local library do it on to comedy ah comedy ah comedy well we're supposed to uh, gonna want to talk about your uh oh your thesis okay how can i yeah I've spent all day reading today. Wow, you have a lot and to So I'm tell like, I'm then. very deep. I'm deep in it right now. So about, now, uh... now might be the right time. Well, I wanted okay. to. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to play about two minutes of a clip from an interview with uh, Norm Macdonald. Norm Macdonald. Yeah. So. Norm Macdonald. All right for I, yeah for our parents. <laughs> Norm Macdonald died, and we are devastated about it. Yeah, it was uh, I am one Norm... of the best comedians. I think Norm Macdonald was probably the funniest living comedian. For me, he's up there. I mean, me, it's so hard to rank people, well, but yeah, he's he's top tier. Let's put it I that way. I can't think of anybody that I like better than Norm Macdonald. And I think he's actually very underrated. That's probably true. Nobody was really talking about him. Well, I think a lot lately. of people don't know his stand-up. I mean, not that he he was funny in other areas, obviously, but his stand-up. He has two stand-up specials: me doing stand-up 
and then um, the Hitler's, Hitler's dog, dog. and trickery. yeah, and those two specials are really top notch, oh, and I think people so don't. Good. But I loved everything. I loved his show. Oh, his <laughs> no. sitcom. Yeah, I, I like lo- that. I, I remember that. Sitcom. I watch it with my parents. Was it on like one then... or two years? It wasn't on long s- at all. Oh, no, it wasn't. Unfortunately, it was like two years. Yeah. Um, dirty work. Dirty work. <laughs> dirty work is uh, still. It holds up. We watched it like a, we watched it like a year ago. <laughs> but yeah, very sad uh, about that. In fact, I can't remember the last celebrity death I've been more sad about. John Hughes. Probably just Robin Williams. I was probably un un uh, aware when John Hughes died. It was like ten years ago, maybe more. Yeah, like I didn't know. I didn't realize how influential John Hughes had been in my life when he died. It was only later so probably yeah probably just robin williams and norm mcdonald are the two that have left me very very sad anyway you're gonna play <laughs> what a bummer what a bummer play, play, um uh, yeah uh, oh my god when norm I, McDonald. yeah when i heard he died it was just like can this please be one of those things where, like, you, do you remember, did you, like, a couple years ago, there was some tweet that Macaulay Culkin died, and it was a hoax? Oh, yeah, I kind of remember And I'm that. like, was, is there yeah. maybe a chance that it's a hoax, but you yeah. knew it wasn't. You texted me while I was driving. I did, and I prefaced <laughs> I it like, by saying, oh. here's some, here's, what, like, here's yeah, some terrible news. Yeah, you gave me some terrible news while I'm driving or around. Or I said, this will ruin your day. Devastated, and it did. It ruined my day. Oh, this is the rest of the podcast. Yeah. Just me crying. Well, I, I wanted to play a, a two-minute clip from this interview, and because I thought, like, it maybe it could lead into the, the, the stuff you were going to talk about. Maybe, your although you had said, I haven't heard this clip, but you were talking ahead of time just a little bit about it and said that it might be contradictory of my thesis which is interesting because i love norm mcdonald so much i'll just play but it might not uh... be so let's listen to this clip about comedy uh from norm mcdonald okay i I gotta i gotta find that on youtube you didn't have it this is very unprofessional oh shut i need a oh yeah is this very unprofessional some kind of an assistant in the studio well you know what we don't we're not we're not there yet so we're okay all right History. And go see if the neighbor wants to, wants to participate. Alright, you uh Alright, just a just a just a, you know just a second? hot hot you second. Know that, you know where you Yeah, you know what I am. I am prepared. I wrote little, down you're a little I wrote prepared. down the, okay. the, the minute mark. Alright. This is about two, two and a half minutes. And uh Are we, to, what? Are we allowed to play this? I mean, I have no idea. I don't, what are they, they going to? I don't know. I mean, this is from a YouTube channel. That They're going to shut us down. This <laughs> is from a YouTube channel that isn't allowed to play this. All the sponsors are going to pull out. <laughs> we have no sponsors. We're making no money from this. Okay. Okay. Norma Dahl talking about comedy. Right. You told, so Kenneth had told you to talk about things you care about. And then uh, when we spoke a week or so ago, you were saying about the the new type of comedy or what's become in fashion is sort of the confessional type yeah. and personal stuff right so there's a difference there you're talking about things that really 
interest you, but it's not just about you. Yeah, there's a big distinction between like stuff that interests you and then just wallowing in self-pity about stuff, you know, or thinking that your life is special or different or, you know, like I've seen one-man shows where the guy has cancer or some fucking thing. I'm like, yeah, well, everybody's got cancer. I don't give a fuck about your cancer. You know what I mean? I don't give a, like, uh, go tell your, your pastor that or your family. I don't want to hear your fucking story. So that's just showing off, you know, or 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 being uh, ultra honest for its own sake or something like that. You know, that's not that's there's, that's it's not a virtue to be honest, and it's not a you know, it's only in comedy it's a virtue to be funny. Like that's why, in my mind, like Bob Hope was a fantastic comic because he was never ever once serious and he never got a sense of there's two kinds of guys there's guys like Pryor who are like brilliant because they're so vulnerable and you know who they are and then there's guys like Bob Hope are brilliant because they're like invisible to me Bob Hope in a way is a little bit on a higher level because he presents a sort of a existential view of life where everything is is reduced to the the, the breeziest jokes possible it doesn't even seem like he's a person it seems like he's a cartoon and i think if you can rise to the level of cartoon then you because who's funnier than like bugs bunny or somebody you know you know if bugs bunny started fucking railing against god you'd go what that's that guy doesn't seem that funny anymore <laughs> that's the he never made that mistake you bob hope though it was from another all right, so that's that's just one I wanted to, uh, um, to to play for you. Okay. So, uh, and I'm assuming so you chose that one because I've been talking a lot about um, how comedy has become more emotional in the last century. I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, you okay. you're talking. Well, you teased the audience last week, and you're talking about the change, you know, in comedy, which is. Co- more about like the uh personal yeah and uh, i thought i thought that was an interesting clip because because i love norm mcdonald and he seems to be disagreeing with me yeah but i don't know that he is disagreeing <laughs> with no you i think because... well yes okay here's what i think yeah. yes and no so i'm listening to this clip and i'm thinking that first when he, norm mcdonald doesn't use the word confessional exactly the whoever the interviewer is does yeah what norm mcdonald is talking about is just like he says being honest for honest you know or just like getting in front i think it's almost akin to um you know getting the road comic getting up and being like "Ah, i just got married you know just to get a clap from everybody kind of thing well as a comedian who says i just got married (laughs) yeah but it's not to get a clap it's to do your marriage joke but no some people do do that or i just had a baby or something you know Well, they better have a baby joke or something well yeah okay yeah i'm not saying it is that exactly but there's something about getting up and uh, talking about your cancer and for everybody who doesn't know norm mcdonald had cancer for nine years and no, didn't and, tell anybody yeah and that <laughs> makes it so, and i don't know when this interview family, well i they kind of I, I read it sounded like maybe close well, i'm family, assuming extended family, yeah. family is what they meant but 
Yeah. So, I mean, he's practicing what he preaches, at least, which is... Uh, but I, I think, you know, what he's talking about is, um, you know, getting being personal for the sake... There's... We've talked about the idea that, you know, co- comedy is, for example, um, usually surprising, shocking at times. Yeah. But that doesn't mean everything shocking is comedy. Right. I think this is just another one of those situations where what Norm Macdonald is talking about, and I don't want just allow me to speak for uh, for uh, renowned comedian uh, and legend Norm Macdonald here for just a second. Okay, uh, what I think he's saying, what I hear him saying, or what I what it means to me is that he's um, you know there's there are people who see that comedy is uh, often sort of confessional. He even says, you know, Richard Pryor is great and vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? So Richard Pryor uses all of this vulnerability that he has, and he creates something really funny out of it. But that doesn't mean that being vulnerable is funny. At the end of the day, being funny is funny. Yeah. But being vulnerable can often help. If you've got something funny to say, or you've got some kind of vulnerability to share. So, for in terms of my research, right, <laughs> um, I'm all about right. Okay, so especially right now, I'm talking about uh, in this chapter I'm writing uh, why context is important, and you know what what is context? What are we talking about when we're talking about context? For humor. I mean, everybody knows that context is important when it mm-hmm. comes to humor, I think. Right? Well, people don't, like, think in those words. Right. You're not at you, a comedy show you... like, the context here is really excellent. I love how he set up the context with the relationship that he created us from the previous show. Okay. So, but... Yeah, but, but we intuit it. Right. Everybody has a sense that if you walk up to a person in the street who appreciates comedy, they can tell you that... In one scenario, something is funny. In another scenario, under different circumstances, it wouldn't be funny, right? You, this would be funny with your friend, but not funny with your grandma or whatever the case may be. It's funny if uh, somebody from this culture says it, but it's not funny if somebody from this culture says it, right? So, I mean, people know this, I think, in a very general sense. So, uh, I lost my train of thought. Context. Context. Well, I'm talking about context, but I forget why I was about to talk about context when it comes um, to this Norm Macdonald clip. Oh, okay. So when it comes to sort of vulnerability or making yourself vulnerable, and how is that funny versus when is it not funny? Well, it builds the context. I mean, my whole dissertation really is about how context is created through the relationships, the emotional relationships that exist between the the humorist and the audience and the target of the humor. Mm. So, and, and um, you know, one of the premises, <laughs> premises that I'm talking about is that humor is, um, it's an attack, right? It always is. Humor always plays on vulnerability. Humor has to attack something mm-hmm. right even the most well go ahead oh i i sort of have a theory that the best humor attacks not a specific person or group of people but it attacks 
humanness. Like it just yes. attacks um, human tendencies, human traits, the human ego or mind. Human vulnerability. Yeah. Right? So, so that's in that sense, the uh, if we're talking about confessional humor specifically, especially today in America, the comedian or the humorist has to you know you can't just get on a stage and attack other people that's not well you can and well, i you, see it you every can. week and it's usually not successful or if it is successful it's the humorist attacking the target and the target is not the audience the target is not there yeah. right or so it's the humorist and the audience sort of creating a community against this third entity uh, whatever the target is, but but more often than not, the successful comedy we see in America today, um, the humorist and the target and the audience sort of overlap, right? So they all share sort of share the same vulnerabilities. We see humorists making fun of their own vulnerabilities, their own humanness mm-hmm. in your terms, um, which the audience can then relate to, and so humorist, target, audience, all. One, But so when I'm talking about the fact that humor became more confessional, all I'm really saying is that that the humorist is taking um, the chance now of stepping into the position of target, of making themselves vulnerable to serve the humor. You can't just make yourself vulnerable and... <laughs> Nothing yeah. happens. And that's sort of, I think, what Norm MacDonald was saying, that vulnerability for vulnerability's sake is not comedy. Yeah. That, yeah, that's that's what he was saying, I think. Yeah. But, it was, but, it, but then it was very interesting talking about how he thinks that Bob Hope yeah, was such a... Yeah, that's where I went, do I disagree with Norm MacDonald? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I... F- you know, Bugs Bunny is great. Bugs Bunny is art. Bugs Bunny takes me back to my childhood. I appreciate Bugs Bunny. You're saying you don't laugh at deeply, Bugs Bunny. But I'm not laughing. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going into fits over Bugs Bunny. I appreciate it. It's amusing. Sometimes it's even funny. But for me, as an audience member, that's not what's going to, um, you know, if if we're using that as a as a gauge of most successful humor i don't i don't even know i don't even know if that's what we're doing anymore i'm writing a dissertation i don't know know if you know this so one of the most frustrating things about that is that you have to define everything and so you know you're talking like this and then you have to stop and go well what what are we talking about when we're talking about success in humor is it that which is the funniest? <laughs> well, I guess suggest success is just a subjective thing. Yes like and if, no. If, if I think something's <laughs> funny, it's it's successful. Yeah, I think that that's... But there are plenty of so-called... Of I mean, there are comedians with Netflix specials that I don't think are funny. So is that success? But they have a wide audience. So there's that too. There, there are... Are we talking about... They're, they're successful in that they make money. Right. And they're successful when they make some people laugh. Well, in they... my mind, they're not successful because they didn't make me laugh. You have to assume that they're successful 
enough because they amuse enough people. So something they're saying is speaking to someone else. Now that gets all muddied too by all kinds of stuff that we've already talked about, like the idea of social laughter, like, um, but you know, yeah, is it, am I more successful if I reach a wider audience and, it, but they're not in fits or am I more successful if I'm an esoteric comedian? But you know, when I do go on, my audience is rolling. Like, what is, are we talking about intensity or are we talking about, you know, so it's hard to divide what is success in comedy as well. But, you know, I listen to Norm MacDonald and I'm, I'm laughing out loud. Yeah. A lot of the time. I mean, Norm MacDonald for me, you know, is, some of the stuff he's done is so funny that it, it's sort of, it's made it into my personal dialect <laughs> like you know it's just stuff that i repeat all the time now but you know I, i'm just not having the same experience with with bob hope for example well bob so, hope is from an older generation i mean and if humor is also very generational. Yes, it is. And I realize this as a performer. I realize this, you know, if I have an audience and the average age is 60, I can make them laugh, but there are certain punchlines of mine and certain yeah. jokes of mine that just won't be as strong as if the audience... I mean, everyone's funniest with people that are most like them. If an audience yeah, is... Probably. well. If, if an audience is in their thirties yeah, right. and they have, <laughs> you know, maybe, I mean, not necessarily my geographical region because we live in a time where the regions aren't well, that different than too. each other. Okay, I mean, so that's why I mean, any professional comedian at the beginning of a lot of stand-up specials on Netflix, they're talking about the area. Well, that's right, like a good way to get into your... Well, it is, but it's also a well, way to sort of... You're not from that area, or some people are. You're not from that area, and so it's a good way to, yes, build relationships with the audience, get them into it, but also sort of, I mean, get into that... You know, you want that audience laughing, I assume, to get the to, to get everything going. Right? Yeah, yourself if, if you have a joke about the city you're in, what what that does is it makes the fact that you just started talking on stage seem organic. Because the thing about comedy is like everyone knows you're doing jokes that you've already written. Yeah, but you but it's still part of the illusion. You're still you're still attempting to create the illusion that you're thinking it up in the moment. Everyone knows you're not thinking it up in the moment. But you're making it look like you're thinking it up in the moment. It's part of the trick. So by going on stage and just talking about it's great to be here in Des Moines, it's more organic than you get up on stage and you say, my cat farted today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I Yes. We're getting off I, topic. But no, but I'll also say that it also and, gets people from who are in your audience – invested in the show you know like this is about me it strengthens it creates that relationship immediately so a long time ago at this point probably 15 years ago i'm gonna guess i went to see dimitri martin in pittsburgh 
mm-hmm. uh, with Amanda, and he his for his opening was about all the bridges yeah. <laughs> and how you know you probably nobody ever commits suicide in this city because there's always another bridge coming yeah <laughs> like, i'm gonna do it ah, i'll get the next one right so that's you know it's kind of it's his take on it obviously it's not a thought i'd had before but it's also like yeah this is the city of bridges right it's like it's something that's familiar to us and it's something that i mean it lets it lets the audience know he's very present with them how do we get here from bob hope I don't know. So um, <laughs> let's review the tape later. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I, d- I, I think there is a generational thing. So obviously, Norm Macdonald would have been um, maybe uh, I don't know if he was of the era of Bob Hope. I well, think he, no, he, he was, was Bob Hope's that. era was. I mean, he was on radio in the 1940s. That was his heyday, and then. He performed for the troops in World War II, and then he was on a radio in the 50s. So is Norm MacDonald listening to Bob Hope, like me listening to, you know, old Bill Cosby at the time, <laughs> in the 90s, the 80s and 90s, you know, it's like... Yeah, he, he, I don't know, I don't know if they did Bob Hope radio reruns in norm mcdonald's canadian childhood <laughs> i have no idea bob hope, bob hope came to bob canada hope and... by the 1960s was considered a bit of he was the old generation in the 60s yeah. and he was considered a little hokey by then so, so i think that's part of it maybe he's a little closer norm mcdonald's a little bit closer to the bob hope era yeah. than i am for sure but I don't think that's all of it. I think there's there's an element here that I find really interesting um, just because I respect Norm MacDonald so much as a comedian that seems to really contradict some of the things that I'm saying in my dissertation. So, I don't know. I have to think about this for a while. Because I, I don't... That's not how it works for, for me. Mm. That's not how I see it working for contemporary comedians or contemporary comedy even well i mean we're i feel like we are in an era of comedy where you kind of have to be personal because there's so much content everywhere and i think i actually i struggle with making my comedy personal because i kind of feel like the a lot of the people who made me like stand-up comedy were very observational and not personal there wasn't a lot of personal stuff with brian regan seinfeld george carlin even jim gaffigan's early stuff was was not that personal you're going to argue that there's some personal no, mix in. I am, but maybe this is it. Hold on, hold on. Okay, so maybe this is, I just might need to talk this this thought out. Maybe this is it. I don't think that, certainly I think that confessionality, when I were in literature, rah, 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 academic bullshit, but uh, <laughs> that influenced comedy, or whatever influenced that, whatever caused that has influenced the comedy we have today. But I'm also going to say that I wouldn't describe the best comedians today as confessional either. Because confession, being confessional comedy is all about like being raw and just 
open for the yeah. sake of being openness and like Norm was saying, being honest as possible, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, there's sort of a um, performative aspect to it, right? So whatever. But I think it's more about being vulnerable in a really honest way. So you're talking about um, Brian Regan, for example. Love Brian Regan, also very uh, high on my list. But a lot of his stuff is about how stupid he feels all the time. A lot of his Which, earlier stuff was. He actually said in an interview yeah. he realized he was doing too many I'm stupid jokes, and he made an effort not to do that as I much. I thought they were really funny though like, no they, they are yeah speak. no no you're making a great point and you're getting me to think about this actually you're right so he a lot of yeah there's a lot of i'm stupid joke but he doesn't he doesn't delve that deeply no but it's a lot i mean it's obviously it's varying degrees but being being open and vulnerable does not have to be directly about you Mm-hmm. your fault you know you're like you don't have to say out loud i'm impotent like you know, <laughs> and let me tell you a few jokes about it no it's about it's about targeting i'm not impotent everybody that's no, not it's, it's like, <laughs> it's, i just want to clarify nor am noelle i noelle didn't but, wink at me when no. she said like, but, i just want to let you know i'm very virile <laughs> very virile uh, anyway, <laughs> um, it, it's, it, that's, you can be vulnerable with, without being vulnerable with your content. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be a, a joke about yeah. your cancer to be a joke that plays on something you feel vulnerable Well, that's about. one of the things he said in the interview is he says he's bored if someone talks about their cancer. That's what I'm saying. Very interesting because he had cancer had for cancer nine years and didn't, and didn't tell it, which anyone which is unfortunate i mean b- both because he had cancer but also i'd kind of like to hear norm mcdonald's take on having cancer that's actually like, i mean that's you know what no one has I said that hear norm mcdonald no talk one has about made that point cancer. yeah that he that you want to hear his you want to hear his joke about yeah going to the getting the whatever I mean, and I also want to know if he, when that interview was from, and if he knew he had yeah, cancer. Yeah, it's just, that was from a That's... YouTube video that didn't say the source of the interview. It's one of those things where someone just kind of takes an interview and posts it. So that's what I'm saying. I have cancer, not funny. But is there something about that that's universally sort of a vulnerability that speaks to everybody? So well, actually, I mean, I think... You can make it funny. I think that the personal is a way to be universal. Does that make sense at all? Yes. Like, because, because people make a mistake of being, I think, I've, I've, I think you can make a mistake of being too personal. Yeah. Where it's just like, it's all about you and it's narcissistic. And I think that is really what Norm MacDonald was talking about. Whereas, yeah, that's it was, before it's just like, you use a little bit of personal as a way to get to the universal. I would also say, I think that, one of the things Norm Macdonald is talking about is comedy is about tension. And I've talked about this before, but I mean, it's, it's created with an incongruity, right? You have to have two competing impulses butting up against each other. I have cancer doesn't have a competing impulse. It's just sad, right? There's nothing about that. I mean, you might get some claps, 
because you're strong, you know. But right. the, there's no there's no joke there. There's not that's only one ingredient to comedy. Well, I mean, anything that's going on your on in in your life is fine for a topic or a setup. So if you want to say you have cancer or you have any other affliction or you're going right. you're going through anything, that's fine for the setup. Yeah, you need the other element in there though, and yeah. I think that's partly what he was talking about. Look at look in the interview, he said that guy has cancer. I don't care, basically. Right. Yeah. Right? And that was funny, just him saying that, and that's because there are two competing impulses there, right? The sad thing that guy has cancer, and then the real thing we really don't get emotionally involved. You know, like, intellectually, we know something is sad when a stranger has cancer. Mm -hmm. But we don't care to the point that, you know, we care. I'm sorry for that guy. Yeah. But I didn't come to a comedy show for it. You know what I mean? Like, so... Yeah. I think there's... That's a lot of what he was talking about, too. That if you're going to do whatever confessional comedy right um and i think that i would say louis ck is the most confessional comedian probably probably the great the most successful the greatest confessional comedian um of all time i'm gonna go ahead and (laughs) put that out there right now and i would characterize him as confessional because he is so open on stage about every (laughs) Thing. And in fact, the first time I saw Louis C.K. not on a Comedy Central special, like that half hour that of was absurdist That comedy, was uh, when I first got introduced to him. I liked that, but the first time yeah, I saw one of his... the racist farm animal joke. <laughs> yeah, but the first time I saw one of his specials, Blacks. I was very put off. Oh, really? Yeah, I was very put Well, off, you know what's but... interesting is I was a fan of his... Comedy Center special. The racist farm animals. <laughs> <laughs> Jews. <laughs> and um, and I really, I like, I kind of forgot about Louis C.K. And then, like, maybe 10 years ago, like, around, like, no, this was before I started stand-up. Because this is what basically made me be like, hey, stand-up, I always wanted to do this, was rediscovering Louis C.K. I didn't realize that he had sort of switched what he was. And now he, had, at that point, he had... I don't know, maybe three or four specials slash albums out. And to me, there wasn't anything jarring at all. It was just like, wow, this guy is really good. I still think that in some of his earlier specials, he pushed it too far. But I think that for the most part, it's re-watching the special that put me off originally, and I don't remember which one it was. I remember the bit. I'm not going to do it <laughs> because out of context, it's just uh, uncomfortable for okay. everyone. But uh, I don't know. Just go watch. Go go, <laughs> go to an early Louis C.K. special. Just fast forward to the middle <laughs> till he looks animated. Press play and see what he's saying. And oh, you mean you know, a... Like, <laughs> Like out of context. Do you mean a masturbation That's what I'm saying. joke? Um, Where he acts it yeah, out? No. Okay. I mean, yeah, related. What do you want? <laughs> what? Can, we what? Not, can we not like guess the disgusting thing Noelle's thinking? Like, is it sexual? Just, yeah, it is, but it's also God, it has to do with like. Yeah, never mind. So okay, we're not doing this. <laughs> so, so just it's just it was very off-putting. 
right. But to the point that you didn't think it was funny. Right. I did not think this was funny. But now, I, I tuned in but for partway the... through, and I was like, why is this man on television? Okay, but, this, but for the point of our podcast, I mean, it's an interesting discussion, and what if I think it's funny? Well, I'm a very... Well, I'll have to find it. I don't even know which special is from. You just, you just don't uh, want to say what it is. Not out of context. We just talked about how context is so important, and I think that's especially relevant in uh uh with louis ck so i don't okay. want to just drop it in the middle of our podcast he's already been canceled yeah that's so true this podcast but, is uh, not gonna had, further i i don't think louis ck was canceled i think he had a timeout. that's just my observation well, he's a touring comedian yeah so i mean he we went, he went to him. france for his timeout. we may and, have seen him live and then he after came back the, so nothing. I'm just, that's, whether or not you think that should have happened is up to you. All right, well, we're not going to know what your example was. I'm just saying confessional for the sake of confessional, bad, but confessional if it is in context uh, for the sake of creating comedy, it can, yeah, it can happen. It can be good. And I would also argue that comedy became more personal in the 50s. But you know what? I think he, he may have spawned some imitators that don't work as good right because they have they think that being confessional being you know kind of gross kind of perverse is what's funny because it's shocking but that's not it doesn't work out of context you know what's interesting is i think that louis c like i think i try to emulate louis ck stylistically but not content wise does that make sense like i feel like i don't know i'd have to break that down a lot like louis ck's style and structure i feel like i've copied but just not his content i'd have to look more deeply at this because i think that his for him especially he's walking such a fine line that his his uh style is so important well i what i'm re- i guess what i'm referring to is something like first of all like the like the way i i i was i really liked the way that it just sounded like he was just talking you know what i mean it just sound like he was oh. saying stuff yeah. and then the, the way he'll do a subject matter then there's something personal but then there's and norm mcdonald does this too where there's it's like the part of the joke is like personal or maybe observational but then there's like a little slightly absurd tangent. And that yeah. I really love. Like uh, the Norm MacDonald joke about. Um, <laughs> he mentions old Witta Hamilton. Yeah. And he just creates this character out of nowhere, which is old Witta Hamilton. And all she likes anymore is baking. <laughs> but she lost the ability to, to knead. So him and the boys go over and knead pies for old Witta Hamilton. <laughs> And if it weren't for them, the old bird. <laughs> and yeah, it's like, it's I, kind of absurd because he, it's just. I think a lot of the, well, my favorite comedians do that as well. Moving in and out of the personal and the absurd. Because let me give you another example. Oh. I think you're going to agree with. Mm. That nobody ever talks about. Gary Goleman. Gary Goleman. Yeah, I was. Uh, Gary Goleman. I was on a bit uh, of a Gary Goleman kick a few weeks ago. I mean, he's, uh, he's got. Uh, the Great Depression, right? I you mean, know that's what? Literally, he comes out talking about. I'm glad his, you. I'm glad you brought that up. Depression, and then it it's he makes comedy out of it. So it's, I here's what I'm gonna throw out there. I 
listen to like there's like f- like f- maybe five or six Gary Goleman albums, mm-hmm. and I listen to them all in chronological order. Uh, <laughs> Tim Wolf had been talking about Gary Goleman a lot, so I was like, hey, I should I should go back and listen to his stuff because I don't know if I listened to it all. And I'll be honest about something, I don't think the Great Depression was his strongest work. It probably. In fact, I'm gonna go as far to say that it didn't make me laugh all that much. It was interesting really? to listen to. It was, it had, it was the most, it was the most personal thing he had and it was structured and it was, it all flowed together and it was a good listen, but I didn't laugh all that much when I was listening oh, to it. Maybe this is a challenge. We're so, going to do, do the Gary Goldman challenge. Um, and I challenge our I'm listeners to do the more, same. I'm much more impressed by some of his, his, albums before that one if i'm being honest well we'll have to watch them all and i think them all and compare them no one (laughs) now this also could just be because he was coming off of a period of depression he was just getting back into it he'd taken a break i don't know what his story was i I don't know i'll have a look at it i'll see what i i don't know maybe maybe dissertation maybe the great depression was a little too Maybe I maybe I as an audience member don't want comedy to be too personal. But like I said, Louis C.K. is one of my absolute favorites, and like you said, he is the best. Again, yeah, you're talking about you're talking about what is too personal. So is Louis C.K. just an outlier? Is he just the only? I think it has to do with his style, like, and what and what you're being personal about. Right, that sort of thing. So, yeah, well, yes. Let's start with yes, Louis C.K. is an outlier. I think anybody who, any of the, like, the top ten funniest people at any given time are outliers, right? Like, well, that's, in terms of... Sure, like, there is the exemplary, mean... right? So, Louis is the exemplary confessional comedian, contemporary okay. confessional comedian. Um... But he's not he's not the only one, you know, being vulnerable. And let me let me let me drop this on you. You ready for this? Yeah. Let's see if I can do this in a simplistic way. You just give me the old hands up if I start getting too uh, <laughs> stuffy and academic over here. Oh god. But, um. Dig in. Oh, we hit some, an hour. Dig in. Something that I'm really on right now is the fact that. Uh, I think I talked a little bit about how um, humor sort of just in general became darker in the 50s and 60s. So American humor became darker in the 50s and 60s. It also became more absurd, which is what you keep coming back to. Well, you are you talking about elements. books in the 50s? I'm talking about all humor. Became more absurd. Became more absurd. That's not okay. to say that absurdism wasn't always something. It's not to... It's it's kind of what we do in academia too, is we split hairs. That's right? all we do. I am, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> is that what you're doing? I don't today? like it. I don't like to admit it. Yes, all day I was reading about absurd humor, uh, and obviously everything is sort of everything is a little bit absurd, right? But things just got more absurd in the fifties and sixties, and this is a big part of my thesis. Things got more absurd. Things got more dark because they could right because we have all of these new postmodern techniques 
that make jokes more layered and so and sort of make the sort of strengthen the bond between the humorist and the audience and so that allows for uh, more you can make fun of darker material more easily because think about this who are you more likely to make darker jokes with your friend or a stranger obviously your friend obviously your friend thank you class so yes. uh you know if you feel a more personal relationship with the humorist if you feel like you share some of their vulnerabilities then you can get dig a little deeper get a little darker but that those same sort of techniques allow for humor to be more absurd now which techniques are you talking about so for example oh, i'm challenging you yeah this is fun. okay i like being the so one so i'm thinking questions. specifically <laughs> you're, you're yeah lean back when you yeah when you ask uh, the questions you just fire you just away clamp and down you, on your pipe and wait and for the say hmm interesting hmm. um so what i'm writing about right now is right, comedy has always been self-reflexive and that's just a hoity-toity academic way of saying that comedy has always been aware of itself so if you think of comedy as a game everybody knows you're playing or else it doesn't work right so that's one of the reasons that practical jokes don't oh, yeah. really work is because you're playing them on somebody they don't know it's or like a joke. if people or, don't really they accept it once they know it's a joke right if people so... don't pick up on sarcasm then it's not funny right exactly so everybody has to sort of be in on on the joke right everybody for it to for it to be working on you um you have to be aware that this is humor aware that you're playing a game aware of what the rules are of the game so you don't get disoriented in it and so you can follow along and those sorts of things so humor has always been self-reflexive but in the 50s and 60s we started sort of accepting more actually okay this is i'm geeking out for just a second because i read this today in the encyclopedia of humor it turns Wait, is out that in our house the encyclopedia of it's humor? it's a digital copy i read it on my computer oh, boy. so in ancient egypt there are actually examples of um uh, sculptors like sculpting sculptors what? So it's it's self reflect it's almost like like Kurt Vonnegut in ancient Egypt, right? Like it's always been super self aware. Like in my dissertation chapter, so like, wait wait wait, so they're like, like sculpting this is a themselves. Cave? It's a cave drawing. I think it's more like a it's Egypt. It's not. So it's, a, it's but it's in like a pyramid. Um yeah or no like Egyptian pottery. All right, so one person is is sculpting. And the next but guy... But, like, they're sculpting themselves. It's almost like Kurt Vonnegut showing up and be like, hey, I'm writing a book, and you're reading it. Oh, I, I thought it was, so. like, one guy sculpting, and the next guy's like, I don't know what to sculpt, so I'm going to sculpt you, sculpting that. <laughs> right. So it's kind of Is that like, what it was? Yeah, sort of. So it's in, in, like, a humorous way. So, or, like, at the beginning of uh, Huck Finn... Uh, Mark Twain has Huck Finn saying, like, right, 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 you know, right, right. you've read about me in the book Tom Sawyer. That's self-reflexive. It's literally a literature character saying, I was in this literature. Yeah. Literary character. And that helps because it's basically saying, all oh, this is a game, right? We're outside of reality right now, or we're in a different reality. And that helps build the context. And it makes things so, you know, the transgressions aren't so severe, the attacks don't hurt so much, that kind of thing. It softens the blows makes everything not serious so it can be really serious without causing offense 
So humor has always been self-reflexive. But as we get into the 50s and 60s in America, it becomes even more so because now literature is getting self-reflexive. And so is um, television sort of movies, right? Like I've said this before. I don't know why I keep coming back to this example, but Zach Morris looking at the camera and talking to I mean, it's a great talking example to Teenage Noel. <laughs> Mark Paul Kostler's deep brown eyes staring directly into mine. That is self-reflexive, right? It's stepping back. Breaking the fourth wall is always self-reflexive. So da 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 da. So um, you've got all these new techniques that mm. allow more self-reflexivity. But it's not just technique. It's, it's, it's what we're, you know, almost like our shared history of comedy, too. Because right now, what I've sort of been reading about, this critic Elliot Oring was talking about um, elephant jokes. You might have heard elephant jokes. I think I did when I was a kid, but like in the 60s, they got to be really popular and they were all absurd. So elephant like, jokes? if you've ever heard the joke, um, um, why are elephants gray? Um, hold on. I don't know. So you can tell the difference between them and a blueberry. Like it's, that was a popular one. That another, was a popular joke? Yeah. And another one was like, wow. why, uh, a... why do elephants paint their toenails red? It helps them hide in cherry trees or something like that. I guess oh. this was you did before we had TV. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was the 60s. They had TV. But, okay, one more. Uh, uh, why did the elephant sit on the marshmallow? Um, because the strawberry was already being sat on. I mean, so am I doing it right? Like, am so I doing it right? So didn't fall into the hot cocoa, right? Like, these are all... what These are absurd, Right, so in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, but they're also not really 70s. funny. No, these aren't funny. These are just examples. But, I mean, it's, but this it's is actually... Easier. Right, but this is just to give you a history of what was I happening. I know, but this is like an example of how absurdity also has to be like funny. It's kind of amusing, the idea of them not being able to fly. The Coco one was kind of funny. The Coco one. The Coco one, one was, was, was kind of funny, but the, uh, the but, first well, I one laughed. was just... The first time I heard this joke, I laughed, right? What's orange and sounds like a parrot? A carrot. (laughs) (laughs) So I laughed. Yeah, that's funny. It's stupid. But it's the same sort of thing. It's absurd. And the reason it's absurd is absurd humor is defined as, well, I define it as. It's defined as a couple of different things. But I would say that what absurd humor is is something that undermines our system of values right so or our system of logic so like i'm writing about catch 22 it's absurd humor it's a lot of the humor is created by things that are illogical so for example the book is told out of chronological order that's a postmodern technique is to not tell a linear story but to tell something that's sort of out of chronological order um that allows it to be more like a game Mm. so in the elephant joke and in the carrot joke, a lot of what's being undermined is the joke structure itself. Yeah, that's a you, lot of... Uh... You expect a different answer, right? So what's actually being targeted 
is the joke. Right, right, right. So that's super self-reflexive. It works back on itself. Yeah. If, so you have to be familiar with jokes yes. to get that. And that's why a lot of but that's dark not, humor yeah, but works, But not all too. absurdity is mocking um, Well, no, but it itself. is definitely an element of it. Is that it's mocking? Well, it's I mocking guess. the communication that we're having in general. Maybe, yeah. Right, and the way that we think about the. Actually, this is a really good example. Although I don't like his stand-up, Steve Martin. I love Steve Martin as an actor, but I I grew up in the era he was an actor. Well, he right? was like, a, he quit comedy I, like forty years ago. Okay, so when I knew Steve, I knew Steve Martin as the jerk. I knew Steve Martin from the '92 yeah. movie House Sitter, which was excellent. I just watched it the other night. Right, like Roxanne, like that's the Steve Martin I know, and I loved him. We're watching Only Murders in the Building right now, and I love Steve Martin. I really do. But when I saw his stand-up, maybe I need to go back and watch it again, but when I saw it for the first time, I was like, what's happening? I was so excited because I love Steve Martin, but I didn't get it. And so what I learned later on is that what he's doing is a parody of a stand-up comedian. Yeah, didn't you read his book? Well, that's how I found out. <laughs> but that, that was years later. So you, he's it's working back on itself. If you don't understand that he's making fun of what he is doing... Right, like that. Then it doesn't. Yeah. Then it doesn't work. You just think he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, it, it, will, look, it will look very weird today. Yeah, and par like the 20th century brought in a lot of parody. Well, that as comedy well, doesn't age very good. well. Um, I so I like whenever I go to my parents' house, my dad has been DVRing old episodes of Johnny Carson, <laughs> and we'll watch the comedian, and some of these comedians like really aren't. Like, it's not that funny. And I think part of it, well, some are funny, but some of it, it's like comedy just, it's like 40 years have passed. Mm -hmm. So the context is all different. They're mocking things that were in the air. It was new to talk about this subject matter. And now that subject matter has been done to death. Yeah, exactly. I would say, you know, academic terms. Right, you have to have your A and your B impulse, and they have to butt up against each other. And the B has to temporarily supersede the A, but if the B is just eliminated, then there's no conflict at all. So if you listen to like old um, Lenny Bruce, not that there's no Lenny Bruce. You know what I read about Lenny Bruce though? Hmm. Um, Apparently he was very like improvisational and like in the moment. So I think Lenny Bruce may have been one of those comedians who, like Rory Scovel today, are amazing live. And not that they're Ooh. not good recorded, but yeah. there's some there like might be something a little bit missing from being recorded. Yeah. Or if you think about like, um, okay, so there's a lot of there's still comedia or comedic, blah, blah, blah. there's still comedy today that talks about racial tension, of course, right? But it's not going to be the same as in the '60s. Like like Dick Gregory um, talks about this in his autobiography, how that tension just can really has an impact on an audience it's like that those things have changed Mm -hmm. and so you can't come out with the same material and expect the same 
yeah reaction just because people's mindsets have changed or like phyllis stiller <laughs> like you watch phyllis stiller come out just talking about how greasy her sink is you know <laughs> like <laughs> i'm sure at the time <laughs> that was you know something amusing at the very least but it's now you know we're at a point where a greasy sink doesn't speak to me as a woman you know like i don't i'm not like oh i'm failing as a wife my sink's so greasy you know there that mindset isn't even there so that material saying you don't care about our sink pause. i do care about our sink a great deal <laughs> i just don't think it's a reflection of me <laughs> so so yeah Super, I mean, well, you, super you know what? It's very it. interesting you mentioned the housewife archetype because one of the old Johnny Carsons we watched was uh, Roseanne Barr. Ah. So Roseanne Barr went on Johnny Carson. Norm MacDonald wrote for Roseanne. That's true. He did. <laughs> he did. Bring that in. And uh, um, so Roseanne's shtick was she was really kind of playing off the good housewife archetype and in a way she was subverting it by being like the i don't know what the right adjective or word is there but she was kind of subverting the good housewife and being almost like the the bad not like the bad housewife but kind of sort of like for lack of a better word she was almost being like the bad housewife and um, almost like demystifying that archetype, and that has already been done. So I'm, I think I'm saying is if you you couldn't do what she did in the '80s because she already did no, it, but yeah. you can't do it today because yeah. that's already been done. The housewife no, has already there's been no long subverted that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Once something is subverted, it's over. And I would actually say that's that's the point of comedy. Comedy is ethereal. You you don't want it to be funny forever because comedy is a powerful tool in social change sort of tricks people into challenging their own perceptions in a socratic way right in a way where you're not saying you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong you're saying think about these two things at once and then letting people sort of sort it out on their own you know if they are laughing then they might stop and go, oh, wait, why do I feel this way? That is a stupid thing for us to think. Why don't we talk about this more? And then it just eventually leads to a change in mindset. But society also, like, eventually goes around and re-experiences the same things over and over again. It might not be for hundreds of years from now, but eventually... I think some of the same things... that's are subverted today but, will be subverted again. I don't think you're ever going to get to the point where the housewife is subverted the way that Roseanne Barr subverted the housewife. I mean, well, there I mean, will eventually specifically be... isn't going to come around again. I mean, what might happen is that, well, I don't know, what might happen down the road is that the housewife, you know, becomes to, I don't know, like, they might subvert the new anti-housewife, you know, I mean, you, like Well, here's the thing. I mean, that could be, I mean, here's... Could that be subverted? Could you come? Could your shtick now be today that you're a traditional leave it to beaver housewife? 
and I don't know. I, I mean, could say, that work? A, a, you know way, what I mean? Maybe in a way. I could that know. be a comic character today? Is that you're a good Nate? Is that you're a housewife and you make brownies and cupcakes? <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, in a way, maybe it could be, or maybe it's it, it's not quite time for that. Or I mean, I just don't think that we're ever going to come right. Yes, things are cyclical. Yes, things parallel you know, changes that happened in the past, but I don't think you're going to see exactly the same thing. Well, obviously not exactly the same thing, but. So. Anyways, Bob Hope. (laughs) Is that what you're talking about? I don't know if I've ever actually listened to Bob Hope. Oh, and by the way, when we're. Well, here's. Oh. Wait, is it Shelley Berman? Is that who I'm thinking of? Um, When we're talking about confessional comedians, you know, Shelley Berman, I think, is usually thought of as the first confessional comedian or first mainstream confessional comedian, whatever. And all he did was do that bit like uh, Bob Newhart used to do where he was on the phone. Yeah, yeah. With, like customer service. Yeah, he talks about that and in the interview I have. his whole deal was, you know, what's confessional about that is how sort of cowardly and anxious he is. So it's not anything, he's not on, he doesn't get on stage in the 50s and be like, ah, I'm impotent. And my wife, Noelle, won't let me talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> uh, I, hope everyone thinks this, I hope everyone thinks this is true. So, he, he's If people just... were to think that was true, that would actually be good because that would mean that they listened to one hour and 20 minutes. That's into our podcast. If you, made it, if you make it to an hour and a half, we will reveal whether or not Jason is actually impotent. Uh, but, he, you know, he's considered confessional because he just shows himself in a vulnerable way or a way that's more vulnerable. You know, it's interesting. I was actually thinking I, I, I was going to get the thing he said, but there was something Shelley Berman said in an interview that I wanted to talk about, but we'll save Ooh. it for we're we'll saving it for, for another, save it for later. It we gotta wrap this. Is, it's been up an hour. 20. Wrap it up. Oh, but anyways, oh, I was gonna say about Bob Hope. Here's the thing about Bob Hope is like he was born so long ago that like when he was like fresh and new, it was like the 40s and it was like on radio. And like I don't think there's not like there's no mm-hmm. recordings of Bob Hope doing a live stand-up yeah. show from the 1940s. You, you know, you do have his radio, maybe. So, like, video footage of Bob Hope, it's like he's, like, 80 years old. He's in his 60s. Like I said, he was con- he was considered, like, a cheesy old guy by the time the late 60s rolled around. So, I, I mean, I, I think that probably some of the magic of Bob Hope is lost to antiquity. That's really that true. Right Although I assume that a lot of it was very sort of vaudeville inspired, right? It wasn't until the 50s. He started in vaudeville. That's what I'm saying, right? So it was probably very much that, but he was in it so long, I'm sure he moved sort of more with the times. No, I don't think he did. Talking, no? You I think, think he's still... A man was walking down the street one day and he, and he ran into a hot dog vendor and he said, sir, I don't know, <laughs> what are Go on. And then the ladies come out and they're like, Na-da-da-da, summertime. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bob Hope's tie is like a wooga. I don't know. What is, what is vaudeville? That's it. <laughs> okay, that's the one. You know, I think of like, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
all of everything I know about vaudeville comes from uh, Boardwalk Empire and this one episode of I Love Lucy. <laughs> I don't know that he ever did a man walks whatever, but I mean I think he still did very impersonal one-liner jokes. But about what? <laughs> I mean Mitch Hedberg did one-liner jokes; they were fabulous. Well, I mean Bob Hope didn't talk about Pringles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Making tennis balls. You talked about lays. I mean. <laughs> I bet we could find some old Bob Hope clips. We yeah. probably should for this conversation. We're all, we're flying blind here. Yeah. We're talking about stuff we know nothing about. Nothing. We should find a Bob Hope fan. You think there are any around? Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you're a Bob Hope fan, please write us at... Jason and welcome. We don't uh, have a mail. We should. Why don't we have a mail? I don't an know. Email address. We should have an email. I gotta get this. I haven't even put this on YouTube because it just seems. Do you want to plug your what's your website called? JasonMoloterno dot. Oh, I haven't uh, updated it in forever. Don't go to my website. <laughs> go to his website. Don't go to it. it Can we it, be emailed there? I don't know. Email us at Jason and Well Comedy Hour at Jason That's not a real email address, so don't don't do it. <laughs> All right, we gotta we gotta end this. <coughs> All right. Closing words, anything? Did we cover any ground? Did, did we, we cover did we, did as we t- much ground as was necessary? All right, I'm hot and hungry, and, and more uh, so. And uh, are not, we eating? And and most importantly, not impotent. <laughs> Big reveal. <laughs> All right, see you guys later. Bye.